This podcast is sponsored by FAT, F-A-T-T, a range of keto on-the-go snacks, including cookies, brownies, chocolate bites, bars, fat jacks, and muffins. Fat snacks are delicious, natural, and always free from sweeteners, fillers, and seed oils. Find fat snacks at www.livefat.com. That's L-I-V-E-F-A-T-T dot com. Use the code FABULOUSLY10, that's one zero, to give an extra 10% off one-time purchases. Not valid on subscribe and save. Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to 156 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And my guest today is Matthew Douse. And Matthew was recommended to me by Keto Kev and Nicola Locke. We were in contact a couple of years ago, and it's taken us all this time to get together and record an episode. So let me tell you about Matthew. Matthew Dowse is a sports science nutritionist who specializes in nutritional therapy and dietary education. At Human Nutrition and Lifestyle, we are committed to forming relationships with patients looking to lose or manage their weight, deal with chronic disease, build bio-individual nutrition plans, reach personal goals, and much, much more. We're here to improve quality of life, health, nutrition, and lifestyle choices. Nutrition for athletes to find their optimal performance is a unique interest of mine, but everyday nutrition must come first. Exercise alone cannot get you into a pure fat-burning metabolism. Finding the correct nutrition to run alongside your exercises or training is paramount. Some kind of exercise, especially strength training exercise, are a must for an optimal healthy lifestyle. But a bigger consideration is to get nutrition right first. I'm on a mission to ensure as many people recognize this as possible. So let's go and hear from Matthew. Welcome, Matthew, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Hello, Jackie. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to come along and come along and join in with all the community that you've got going. It's brilliant. Thank you. It's it's taken us a while to get this episode off the ground because we've been in communication for quite a long time about doing this yeah I'm so pleased that we've managed to get here and uh, and talk together I mean hopefully today it's gonna this is gonna be a great chat because like you say we've we've been in touch through uh, social medias and things and talks along the way so hopefully today we can get things on a recording and 
and really help people out the way that, uh, that, that hopefully we can get people to thrive because that's what it's all about, looking through optimal nutrition and get people to really thrive and really dig down into, into their goals and everything they want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're all trying to, to do that on, in our own way, whichever way we work. And um, you were on the episode that we did back in May when, we, when we'd been to the PHC conference as well. So that was good too. Yeah, it was great. The PHC conference was really, really good and um, lots of like-minded people. And um, I'm sure everybody learned a lot from that. And uh, it was great how you put that together. It was uh, um, really good to to speak with everybody on that. And, yeah. and I know a lot of people, um, uh, I linked it on my social medias and a lot of people listened to it and, and really got a lot from it. So it was really, really good. Excellent. Fabulous. So we always start with where in the world are you? Well, I'm from a little known place called Grimsby. Well, actually, some people might have heard, heard of Grimsby before. and We do a lot of, uh, a lot of fish catching at this way on um, in Lincolnshire area. So, yeah, um, that's where I'm from. Some people might be able to tell from my accent that I'm uh, more northern than southern, <laughs> some of the things <laughs> I say. Uh, but, yeah, it's really good out here. It's good for triathlon training, which is what I do. We've got plenty of hills if you want it on your bike or plenty of flat um, areas and countryside to, to run around. Uh, as well so it's a, it's a really nice area to live in I, I enjoy living up here it's it's really really good is that where you're from that's it yeah that's where yeah, I'm from fabulous. yeah I grew up here and I lived here all of my life and uh, yeah I really enjoy being out here great so why don't you start because we're not doing the intro anymore in the beginning of the podcast why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about you yeah so um my name is Matthew and I run a business human nutrition and lifestyle and what we tend to do is we tend to help people achieve whatever goal um, it is they want to achieve whether that's a sporting goal or a body composition goal and we do that through nutrition and lifestyle we try and find the optimal way for each individual to help them along their way I mean some people it's it's easy you know it's just a quick change a quick change of nutrition quick change of lifestyle and it could be some simple things that they just need to change their daily habits other things could be a complete uh, sort of eight to 10 week plan, that sort of thing where we really need to knuckle down, really need to work with some people and teach people. Because really, at the end of the day, what I like to do is I like to teach people how to manage uh, their own lifestyle and nutrition. It's so easy to go out there and to say, yeah, here's your plan. You know, you've got to stick to this plan. This is what I've written down for you and follow it. And there's quite a lot of those about you know, you can just get a generic one if you want off the internet somewhere around telling you what to eat and what to do. Um, but I like to educate people. I like to give them tools um, to be able to tell the next person what's happened. You know, yeah. I, want, I want them to be able to know what's happening within their body and why they're able to achieve their goal that they want to, to achieve. So we're all about education, really, and helping people along the way, too. Yeah, fabulous. So, um I'd like to find out how you came to keto and then latterly carnivore. How did you find it? What was going on beforehand that made you try it? Yeah, well, I guess it all kind of started. I mean, um, when I was at college, when I was 16, I got int um, interested in nutrition and interested into sports and that kind of thing. And and back then, you know, how many, how many years are talking now? We're talking like um, 25 years ago. It was all carb loading and some of it still is now, you know, carb loading. That's the best way to do sports nutrition. And so I went away and I started to teach that to people after I'd qualified as a, as a sports scientist um, through university and that. 
I uh, I thought I'll, t- I'll help people, coach them with sports and coach them with nutrition. So looking back in my past, I have told people uh, some wrong things. So I guess <laughs> I'm just trying to write it now. But uh, yeah, it all started back then. I got inter- interested into, into sports and nutrition. And uh, then I sort of come away from it a little bit, got a different job, got a family, got a wife, got all that sort of thing. Um, but then around about six or seven years ago now it was, I really sort of dug into triathlon. I wanted to do really well in triathlon. I've, I've always been good at running. I've always been pretty good on the bike, but I've never been that great at swimming. But I thought, you know, I'll, I'll really dig in and I'll, I'll find some like-minded people and see how good I can be, how much I can get out of myself. And so I was following the same principles that I'd been taught 25 years ago. I was following the carb loading, you know, you've got to eat the pizzas and the pastas and you've got to have the gels and bars and chews and, you know, load up your pockets before you go out the door sort of thing. And I was finding that I was unable to complete workouts. I was unable to stay with some of my friends who were, you know, going, doing 100-mile bike rides and things. I, I wasn't able to go that far. I'd just bonk. I'd just run out of energy. Um, so I thought there must be more to this. I must be missing something. And that's when I started to research keto and, and carnivore. And, and I actually start, first started to research uh, biochemistry. I started to think, well, well, there must be something going on within my body that I don't know about. Mm. Um, so I started to deep dive into cells and how human cells worked and, and sort of then worked out that, well, when you break it down into a cellular level, they want protein and they want fats. That's all a human cell wants. It doesn't, it has got nothing to do with carbohydrates. You know, human body cells don't actually want them. They try and get rid of them on the outside. They've got like um, a, a glycolytic layer on the outside that they try and get rid of it before it can enter into the cells. So they don't want this. They don't want the uh, carbohydrates. They want the glucose. Um, so I thought, oh, this is something interesting. And then ended up diving into uh, the ketogenic uh, diet looking at that, thinking, well, it makes sense. You know, you can you can change your metabolism. You can start to work uh, a different way. You don't always have to be burning carbohydrates. You could be burning fats. You could be burning proteins. You could be doing other things. And then started to look a bit more into gluconeogenesis, which is actually the body's primary metabolic state. A lot of people, and, and especially 25 years ago when I started learning about it, gluconeogenesis was just a thing that kind of happened after you'd run out of energy. And it was mm-hmm. like a it was like a backup sort of thing. I, I used to I used to say to it, when your homes run out of energy, when you're out of electric, you've got your generator in your back garden, which kicks in. And we used to think of gluconeogenesis like that. That was your generator that kicked in when everything else was gone. It's kind of like if anybody's ever run a marathon and they've hit the wall in the marathon, you've done, I don't know, 18 miles, whatever, and said, oh, I've hit the wall, I've run out of energy. But then if they carry on going like a mile further on down the road, like, oh, I've got more energy again. That's my explanation of how gluconeogenesis works in your general person. But if you use gluconeogenesis as your primary source, they don't hit the wall because you're already already used as your primary source. And it is primary source. That's how it works in, in human beings. So when you know that, and when you think about that, then you can think, well, if I only need fats and proteins, then being on a ketogenic style nutrition, the best thing for fats and protein is more animal meat, or they're the things that include it more than anything else in in the world, as well as all the nutrients, and as well as all the vitamins and the minerals and everything else that your body requires. So that led me into carnivore. And then you're going to say, well, you know, was you still doing your triathlons? How was that working out? And sure, 
everybody I work with always must, I, I try and educate them so that there is a period of switching over. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't all of a sudden one minute be burning carbohydrates and having all the gels and the bars in your pocket. And then all of a sudden the next day, just because you've spoke to Matthew, you're running on your gluconeogenic system. That's not how it works. You know, there is a period where you've got to switch over it and you will find there's lulls and dips and all sorts of spikes of insulin and spikes of glucose and your body could be all over the place. And that's why I tend to educate people and why I try, tend to work with people because you've got to keep a lid on the fact that, you know, one day you might have a spike of insulin just for no reason, because you, just because you're swapping metabolisms around. Yeah. Right? So you've got, you've got to understand that there is always going to be that period where you're swapping. But once you've swapped metabolisms to work in a gluconeogenic way, which is what I have done, so now I'm trying to teach people, then you can do anything, run triathlons, run marathons, you know, do Ironmans, whatever you like. So you, you were telling me off air that there is a season for triathletes. Is that is that in the summer? Yeah, it tends Generally. to be when people are yeah when people are doing more races. Um, you know, when they're working more at a high intensity level um, to try and sort of refine that last bit of the, of the training throughout the autumn time, winter time, maybe a little bit of the springtime. Everybody's working just sort of ticking over, working the low intent, more of the low intensity, um, really building the strength behind it. Because to be any good at, at any sort of endurance activity, you need that baseline of strength. Yeah. So if somebody was thinking, because it, you know, even to get keto adapted or fat adapted, an average person will take about six weeks, I guess, maybe more, up to three months. If as a endurance sports person that's going to take even longer isn't it well not necessarily um sometimes okay. it can be quicker yeah um it depends on the person and uh, it really depends on what stage you try and work with them at because i do often say to a lot of people who, who come to me i say well can we wait till the off season can we wait till the autumn till the winter when you're not wanting to put out high intensity because like you say, if people are wanting to race or wanting to do high intensity and they come from a background of loading up with the carbohydrates and things, if I was to change their nutrition at that point, their race would be terrible and their high intense workouts would be terrible because the body's not going to know which system you're using. Are you using carbohydrates? Are we using fats? You know, what's going on? So at that point, yes, any particular athlete doesn't really want to be trying to change their metabolism at that point because it's going to take a long time yeah but if you can but if you can get it at the right time at the right time of the season through the winter time when you're only working at low intensity generally anyway you'll find that athletes have already tapped into a little bit of gluconeogenesis because they've already been to that point where they've bonked on a bike ride before or they've already been to that point where they've just not taken enough food with them so they've already experienced a little bit of they can burn fat they just don't do it very often yeah. So that means that it can be a quicker process if we approach it in the right way and make sure that you don't make sure you don't do too much exercise. I often tell athletes to come off exercise altogether, at least for a month, just while we sort out your metabolism. Yeah. So I guess so, so someone was listening to this or knows somebody who does endurance sports who's thinking of changing over, doing it in the autumn, winter is probably a good time to start. Yeah, it is. Yeah. To, to swap over, it, it definitely is because... Like I say, most people want to do more workouts and more intensity in the summertime when you've got the, the better weather and, and, and the summertime, more of the races are happening as well, which which if you're 
want to, you, you can enter more races in the summertime. I mean, there's not really a lot that goes on uh, races-wise in the winter anyway. So Yeah. I'm a primal health coach, and one of the things that we tell our clients, and bearing in mind that they're not professional athletes and they're not they may or may not be running races but is to that doing lots of high intensity exercise can stress the body and that if you're doing endurance sports you should aim for doing um low heart rate to keep your heart rate low sort of mafetone method type heart rate what do you think about that yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it is a stress on the body. Any exercise is a stress on the body. That's why I would say to people, you know, if you're working to change your nutrition, don't do any in the month. You know, people who do exercise regularly look at you like, well, what are you on about? Don't do any exercise because that's the thing that's helping me. You know, exercise is really, really good. And it is. But whilst you're changing your metabolism, exercise is no good simply because it's a stress on the body. And yeah. when you're changing metabolism, that's a stress on the body everything like fasting is a stress on your body cold therapy is a stress on your body you know you can't lump too many stresses together once you once you've got one stress that's enough generally for people one um extracurricular stress i'll say is enough because people have enough stress throughout the whole of their lives whether that's kids or work or lack of sleep or whatever it is you already have stress in your lifestyle so don't put too many extra stresses on there so it the best way to lower your stress is to work at a lower intensity. If you really can't give up your exercise and you still want to change over your metabolism, then just make sure you're working at a really, really low intensity. I'll say to people, uh, if you want to go out for a run, go for a run around the block. But as soon as you get out of breath and as soon as you can't talk to yourself, stop or walk. Because I'll say the, the easiest, lowest intensity you should be working at is when you can talk to yourself. Yeah. And I mean, and I mean properly talking to yourself, similar to how we're talking now. You don't want to be breaking up your sentences. You don't want to be puffing and panting like that. You want to be able to talk properly. And that's an indication that you're working at a, a, a decent low intensity. Not only that, but also, like I mentioned, it builds strength as well. It helps to build the baseline in your muscles. It helps to build more mitochondria and mitochondria, as we know, are the powerhouses. So the more mitochondria you can have in your muscles, the better it is to build that strength within your muscles because anybody who, who is an athlete and who does races whenever you get to the finish line especially marathons or triathlons whatever people will not make it because of a muscle problem it's never because of a cardiovascular problem it's always because oh my calf gave out or on oh, my hips on my back or it's some kind of muscle problem so low intensity is brilliant because it builds that strength to get you over that line your cardiovascular system is so much easier you can refine that within a month with a few little bits of intensity. It's so much easier to train that rather than stressing it all the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I've, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a great sports person. I do quite a lot of sports at the stuff at the moment, um, but only since I've lost all the weight. And um, one of the things I keep trying is the couch to five k, and I've done it in the past with a um, heart rate monitor. And this time my heart rate monitor has run out of battery. So the way I've been doing it, because I want to keep my intensity low because I'm not running any races or anything like that, is can I breathe through my nose? And if I'm not breathing through my nose, um, then I'm thinking that's too fast. I need to slow down. And that's how I calculate it. 
Yeah, it's a great way. I've known people before they even take the mouth shut. So you can use um, just a little bit of mesh, mesh tape just to tape your mouth shut so that you know you are only breathing uh, through your nose. I mean, some people, some athletes use it uh, overnight to do it to sleep with, just to put a little bit of mesh to keep the mouth closed um, overnight, just to practice and to get the body used to breathing through your nose. Mm. As we know, you should breathe through your nose and not breathe through your mouth. Uh, but also, like I say, the one that I use a lot is for people just to talk to yourself or have a partner that you're running with and have the conversation, be able to hold a conversation with your running partner. Um, and that indicates that you, you're training at a nice, low intensity level. And then if you want, you know, when you get towards the end of your couch to 5K or towards the end of the spring, when you want to increase the intensity, it's then a really good guide for you because breathing through your nose, you know then that your mouth all of a sudden becomes open. So that's a straight indication that you need more air in. So you're working at a higher intensity level. And it's a great indication if you're training with somebody that all of a sudden you start to chop up your sentences and you might be talking about where you're going to run next week. And then you're getting in the extra commas, you're getting in the extra full stops. You can hear each other breathing much faster. So it's a great indication to, to how you work. I know a lot of people do use heart rate monitors and heart rate monitors are really, really good. I use a heart rate monitor every time I go out, but I purely mostly just use it for data for looking back on yeah, um, just to see how I felt on that day. Um, you know, cause sometimes other stresses in your life can uh, have a play with your heart rate. When you're out running, you can feel perfectly fine. You could be chatting away and then all of a sudden you look at your heart rate and it's super high or super low, depending on what's happening. Um, you might've got some lack of sleep due to children or, uh, something really stress at work. So that's when your heart rate's um, just having a bit of a moment potentially that day. So that's why I always say have your back up. So which is, you know, talking, talking or breathing, breathing through your nose, like you say, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I've done mouth taping at night. So yeah, it's it's quite a good thing to do to try and start breathing through your nose. So yeah, should yeah. we um move across to nutrition and talk about optimum what what you think is what is optimal nutrition yeah sure so like like we said i do, do work with athletes but also work a lot with general public people who don't even want to do a sport or aren't wanting to even walk around the block sometimes that people have worked with so it's easy for them because they're not doing exercise so in that instance you're just looking to get the best nutrition and the best lifestyle choices into people and when generally when people uh, come to you and say look i want my nutrition to be better they have this big grandeur of i'm going to be eating salads or i need to have fruit and vegetables or you know i've followed i've been following the uh, guidelines the pyramid i know i need loads of grains and all this so when we break it down into nutritional purposes i say well the best nutrition you could be getting is the one that gives you the most nutrients the ones that the one that fills you up the most and the, definitely the one that fills you up the most is fat, as we know. So if you can get plenty of fat in nutrition, then that already satiates you. So you're not eating so much. But really what people are aiming at is getting the most nutrition in there. So the most nutrition and the most fat in there is obviously animal meat. So I always talk about an animal based kind of nutrition. I'm pretty much carnivore now as I go. But when I talk to people, it's hard to say you need to go straight carnivore straight away. So I often say meat-based is the way to go. If you can look at your plate or um, look over your daily nutrition and see that it's been more meat or more animal produce than anything else, then you can be sure that you're getting most nutrition from that. And the reason for that really is 
it's by all about bioavailability. Mm-hmm. And I used, used to talk a lot about bioavailability. Um, and I don't think sometimes I think it comes into the nutrition space and then leaves and then comes back. It goes in, it sort of goes in fits and starts, but it's always worth mentioning about bioavailability because every now and again, you hear on the news saying that there's this particular vegetable, this particular superfood that has so many vitamins and so many minerals in it. And the thing is, they're not wrong. Let's take a carrot, for example. They'll say, oh, it's absolutely packed with vitamin A. And the thing is, they're not wrong. It is packed with vitamin A. The problem is, it's also packed with lectins and oxalates and anti-nutrients, which stops you getting that vitamin A. Not only that, but the vitamin A example, the one that's in carrots, is a plant form of vitamin A, and that's called beta-carotene. So we are not plants, so we need to exchange that vitamin A type of beta-carotene into retinol, which is the animal form of vitamin A. So we need to do that exchange within our body. And by us doing that exchange within our body and our digestive system, we have to break it down, break it down into a a smaller molecule and then build it back up again into a bigger molecule and then use it throughout the body. All that takes time. It's a quite a long process. So once it started out in that carrot, let's say just the numbers wise that there's 100 milligrams of vitamin A in a carrot when you look at it under a microscope of this of this uh, beta carotene. Yeah. So then you break that down, you put it into the body. By the time it's gone through all the conversion of everything from beta carotene to retinol, you've maybe got 10 yeah. milligrams. You know, you've lost so much of what was in that carrot anyway. So it's such misleading information. Whether they're meant to mislead people, I don't know. We'll leave that out there in the year. Yeah, top. who but, knows? But they say these things that all these plants and all they're really good for you because they have all these vitamins and minerals in there. And and like I say, they're not lying, they do. It's just we can't access them as human beings. What we can access is everything that's in animal produce. So to take that example again, let's say there's a thousand milligrams of vitamin A in the retinol form in a steak. When we digest that, we don't have to do any conversion. We don't have to break it down in any form whatsoever. So we're getting the 1000 milligrams. It's not being diluted in any way. And that works across the board for all kinds of vitamins, vitamin D, vitamin K, and all of those that can, can be found in plants, but you know, they're in different forms. So by the time we've converted them, we've lost most of it anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I think we've just grown up with this idea that you get your vitamins from fruit and vegetables. And we have never been told, we know you get protein from meats, but we've never been told that it also has vitamins and minerals. And like you say, it's bioavailable so that we can use it immediately without having to go through this complex changing of um structures i I say structures it sounds a bit strange but well that's that's exactly yeah it's it's like i say when when i try and educate people when they come to to me for a nutrition plan try and educate them that's the sort of thing that people really sort of raise their eyebrows at and like oh i never knew that you know i never sort of realized that you know that it was a different form or we just because it said vitamin a it meant a different kind of vitamin a you know lots of people really need to dig into what bioavailability is really look at yes okay i mean let's take supplements for example because there's plenty of people out there taking a multivitamin or taking a, an actual vitamin a supplement vitamin d supplement whatever um again that's the same sort of thing your body has to break it down because it's not necessarily the one that comes from animal produce that your body can straight away use. So it may say a thousand milligrams on the label, but you're not getting that because it's not bioavailable to your body. Yeah. 
So where do you stand on taking supplements? Because there's all different people have different ideas. What, what's your stance on taking supplements? Well, I think if your nutrition is built properly and your nutrition is built so that it's getting everything you require, whether you're an athlete or whether you are a just a general person off the street, then there's no need to take supplements. I think if, if, if you're feeling okay, if you get reaching all your goals, you, you're not feeling lethargic or anything like that any day, um, or, you, or you're not um, you know, coming across a stum- some kind of stumbling block along the way, then there's no need to, to have supplements. Even if you are coming across some, some sort of stumbling block and you're not achieving your goals, then especially if, if we're working together, I'll say, well, let's try something else from the food spectrum first before we go into to supplementation. Because I just think that it's easier to find out what it is you're missing if you supplement in different foods rather than if you just bang in a tablet. Yeah. So for, let's take magnesium, for example, because magnesium's a, a big one that some people like to supplement. Um, if, you're not, if you haven't got enough magnesium, then you tend to find at certain times of the day, you'll just dip in energy levels. Don't matter whether you're eating enough fat, whether you're eating enough protein, whatever, you'll just dip for, for, for some reason, you know, and that's generally because a lack of magnesium levels. So I'll say, well, let's introduce some different kind of foods. Let's introduce some dark chocolate perhaps let's introduce some seafood you know let's see if that makes a difference first before we say well it's definitely the magnesium and we're going to go down the supplement route because i'm not i mean i sound like i'm 100 percent against uh, supplements i'm not if that's the thing that's gonna work for you and it's gonna dig you out of whatever hole you're in then yes but i just think that if your nutrition's right and if you've managed to tick all your boxes, then you shouldn't necessarily need any supplementation at all. Yeah, interesting. Are you happy to tell us about your your ladder? Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, so that's something that I devised, which helped people realise what a long journey, actually, it can be. Because you often hear of people going to Weight Watchers and Slimming World and whatever, and within a week they've earned the star badge because they've lost so much weight or you know, but it's not about what can I do in this week? And it's not about, it's not even about what can I do in the next month? It's what can you do to build yourself that lifestyle, to build yourself those good habits for going forward in lifestyle. And that's why I built the the ladder. And um, just recently I've, I've built a similar one, which shows a few smaller steps in between the bigger steps of the ladder. You know, it's hard to climb big steps of ladders. It's easier to climb little steps. So I put processed food right at the bottom of the ladder because if you're on a processed food nutrition and if most of your food, most of your nutrition is coming from processed food, then you're not really ticking any boxes. You know, you, your energy is probably low. Your insulin's probably going up and down all day. You have energy and moods and all kinds of swings and, and probably not achieving any of your goals that you want to achieve. So you're right at the bottom of the ladder. And then after that, you've got to work out how you're going to get from the bottom of the ladder to the top of the ladder, because I put at the top of the ladder, you may know, a meat-based nutrition. You know, something kind of like a, a 90% meat-based nutrition right at the top of the ladder. And that's that's on the edge of optimal nutrition for me, is yep. being right at the top. I say optimal nutrition because that's what you're getting. You're getting optimal nutrition. As we just said, if you're having all that animal produce within your diet, then you're getting all the nutrients, you're getting all the vitamins, you're getting all the minerals. So that is optimal nutrition so working your way up the ladder i mean 
loads of people. And I find it quite easy to say to people, all you have to do is drop the processed food and turn to real food. Now, that seems quite an easy thing to do. Just, just take the processed food out of your nutrition and turn to real food, things like fruits and vegetables and, and all kinds of things. It is quite hard for people to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's easy to say, but it's quite hard. That's why I said, let's, let's look at smaller steps. So your first step is to get rid of one processed food. You know, let's call it bread because everybody has bread. Everybody thinks bread's this super magical thing. And really bread is the most processed food there is out there. It doesn't resemble how bread used to be back in the stone age when we first started making it. It is pumped with all sorts of chemicals and emulsifiers and flavorings and all sorts of things nowadays. Uh, all you have to do is turn your bread around and look at your ingredients list. And that's what I'll say to people. Look at what you're eating. What's your ingredients list? Now, yeah. real food doesn't have ingredients. Um, processed food does have ingredients. So there you go. If you're eating things with ingredients, let's just get one, of, get rid of one of them for a week. Let's see if you can do it. Bread. Okay. Let's get rid of bread for a week. Let's see if you can do that. And then when people do that, they go, oh, actually, I didn't miss bread because I replaced it with an apple. Every time I wanted a bit of bread, I just thought, right, I'll go and I'll have an apple. And I think, great. You know, it's by no means anywhere near the top of the ladder, but that is a step. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So then you go on to, to the next step and you try and refine more of that processed food into real food. And I've had lots of people where I've started to work with them and they've turned more vegetarian than they have meat-based because they've started to replace all that processed food and all that sugar that's in the processed food with, let's say, natural sugars. We know they're still carbohydrates. We know they're still sugars, but they're better sugars than the ones that you get in processed foods simply because um, – they are the same thing, but simply because you're not getting all the chemicals along with them. Yes. You're not, you're yeah, not getting all the seed food, you're not getting all the seed oils, and you're not getting all the emulsifiers and whatever else they flavor natural flavors and all. So you're not getting a lot with carbohydrates now just on carbohydrates. So it makes it a bit of an easier job now to start climbing that ladder. I've had people go from processed food to vegetarian to then to ovo-lacto-vegetarian, so starting to introduce eggs and seafood. And then you're kind of doing the same thing. You're now starting to change one fruit, one vegetable, introduce more animal food. And then before you know it, that part tends to go quite quickly. People quite quickly can see how much better they feel on real food than processed food. So then they quickly start to change out those fruits and vegetables for more animal produce. And before you know it, you really are climbing the ladder yeah. and working towards the top. So, yeah. It's, a, it's just something I built that helps me to work with people and it seems to work really well. So. Yeah, yeah. I always get people and I, you know, I'm quite often would just say to them, what what are you going to drop this week? So I give them the choice of what can they make do without? What do they feel is an, is a good step to drop, especially in the first couple of weeks? Um, and then once that's gone, they're almost, they're almost, if not keto, definitely low carb by then. Yeah, and then they can tell the difference. It's it's amazing. You can see the energy levels and you can just see the enthusiasm in people. I mean, I tend to say to people, do you mind me recording you? Because then I like to play the first week back again when we get to um, week six or week eight. I'll say, can, can we just go back and I'll just play this first week to you? And the difference in the attitude in the person and the, the smiling on the camera and the and the... I don't have to talk much when it comes to sort of eight weeks down the line because they're doing all the talking of what they've learned and how they feel. And it's great. But sometimes in the first week, it just seems like I'm telling them all this information and, and they're looking like a scared little puppy in the corner on the videos yeah. when you look back. But then it's great to see down the line. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so can we 
go to your diet and I mean, you've told me you're sort of 98% carnivore because there's all these different carnivores from Paul Saladino, who includes loads of fruit and vegetables and honey and stuff like that, right the way through to someone who might be doing lion diet, just having beef, salt and water. So on that scale, where where do you place yourself? Well, I can actually see the pros and cons in all of them because it depends on your own personal goals for me. Um, and it depends how you feel best as well. I mean, it's always going to be an animal produce or a meat-based diet, which is at the base level of all of these kind of nutritions. I think there's too much argument of, yes, Paul Saldino is adding in a few carbohydrates, and yes, this other guy is on a strict meat-only diet. Those two things are working for those particular people. So you can't really argue and you can't say, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, yeah. you should be doing something else. They're achieving their goals and, and they've got the great body composition that, that, that they tend to have um, when they've got that animal-based nutrition. I think um, I spoke a little bit to you when we first started. I think it's all about then refining that last little percentage. So if, if before you're working towards that 90% of meat-based in nutrition, that's your baseline where you should be as an optimal finding your optimal nutrition. It's then about refining that last little 10% or 5%, however you want it. So yeah, I'm around about 98% carnivore because that's what works for me. Yeah. So I often find that if I do introduce some seasonal fruit or if I do introduce some vegetables, then it doesn't kind of work. It gives me a little bit of indigestion or I just don't sleep right or especially seeing as I'm doing triathlons, I don't seem to be able to get that absolute maximum out of myself. Um, when I'm looking for optimal performance, I want that extra little 1% out of myself. I want to be able to get everything I can out of myself. So working at a 98% level tends to get me that. Now, when I'm actually working at really, really high intensities and when I'm in the middle of a race or when I want to beat my personal best, then I will introduce some carbohydrates because I've found that that does give me that extra little bit of edge in that race. Yeah. But that's not to say that, oh, he's eating carbohydrates now, you know, he's introduced them into his nutrition and all that. It's not. It's just that extra little 1% in everything. And we know we've got a mutual friend in Rich Smith at the Keto Pro, and I've often had a conversation with him, and that doesn't work for, for Rich. He's doing now endurance things, and he's tried that out, and he says, no, that just doesn't work. If he introduces carbohydrates, his gluconeogenic system seems to just stop. And then he ends up running out of energy. He ends up feeling like everybody else. So, but with me, what tends to happen is when we're um, on this base level of carnivore, we are running our gluconeogenic system. So our body is producing all the glucose that it needs and wants. But I think it gets to a certain point where, especially if you're training at high intensity, that's like a really high threshold. You're pushing as hard as you can. Your heart rates, you know, you're not talking to anyone at this point. Your heart rate's way through the roof. Um, so if you're working at that high intensity for a long time, I tend to think what your gluconeogenic system does is it prioritizes the glucose for your main organs, like your brain to keep those alive and all of your organs within your body. It prioritizes sending all the glucose it's making to those. Yeah. So then when you get to a certain point in your, in your exercise, it tends to be for me around about two and a half hours over two and a half hours, then you can just feel your you're pushing, but it's not quite coming. You know, you're just, you're just dropping not off that, that level. Yeah. 
That's right. So it, because simply because it's prioritizing everywhere else, it's still working, it's still giving you enough to, to do it. I'm just talking about here about that little 1%, that little 2% that I want. I want to be able to keep my heart rate high. I want to be able to keep pushing to, to the very end, you know, five, six hours I'm talking. So I want to be able to keep going for that long. And what helps me is just introducing a banana, you know, just, just giving me an extra little bit of carbohydrates. What that seems to do is it seems to give my gluconeogenic system a little bit of a boost because it, it, it puts it on pause for a moment, just sort of gives it that little bit of a break of, okay, I'm not dying. I'm not in survival mode. I don't have to worry too much about storing some glucose up to send to the brain, to send to all my organs. I can actually push more out. I am able to do that. And that, like I say, and that works for me in that in that one and two percent there. So I tend to when the athletes I work with, I tend to tell them that and I tend to say that's what works for me. But if it doesn't work for you, you know, then your gluconeogenic system might work a, l- a little bit differently. Mm. So you asked about my nutrition and my nutrition across the board is meat, generally animal produce. Yeah, I do have some milk now and again, which has been a bit of a controversial subject, raw milk. Um, and if I can't get raw milk, I just get whole full fat milk. Um, but it's animal produce. It's still got a lot of nutrition in it, more nutrition um, in it than some fruits and vegetables. So I do introduce um, dairy in my uh, carnival lifestyle as well. Yeah. So would you have, um, so do you include cheese in that or just raw milk? Yeah, cheese. Yeah, um, raw cheese if I can get it. Um, but yeah, any any type of cheese. I don't go mad. You know, I wouldn't say that everything I have, I have cheese on. But I do like it. it just it's a really good source of fat and a really good source of protein. Um, I like it in the morning. It seems to keep me going longer throughout the day if I have a little bit of, a little bit of cheese with my eggs um, in the morning. So yeah, like so like I say, we're going back to the um, is Paul Saladino right by introducing honey? in there and loads of strict carnivores will, will rip him down and say no he's he shouldn't be doing that but the thing is at the moment it's working for him yeah. and the good the good thing about paul saladino actually um what i found is he will change if it's not working for him he will change he's done it in the past um, and i'm sure at some point if because i know he exercises a lot and i know he he, he does do strict uh, high intense workouts so if at some point he comes off the exercise he may find that it's not working for him and he may change again so yeah yeah i think it, you definitely have to find what works for you um it's just very interesting how there's so many different thoughts about what is a carnivore diet you know and some of it has fruit and some veg and most well paul saladino mostly says fruit doesn't he yeah but he includes yeah. cucumbers and um avocados and olives and things like that um so I'm gonna t- tell me a typical day like yesterday. What did what did you what did you eat and when? Yesterday, oh, I don't know. I think that far. All oh, right, go for today. today. Then. Go for today. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of days ago, and uh, he said, "Oh, do you still eat two times a day, two meals a day?" And I said, "To be honest with you, mate, I said I can't remember <laughs> because <laughs> I now what I do is I intuitively eat." And I encourage all anybody I work with to intuitively eat, eat when you're hungry. You know, if that happens to be 10 o'clock at night or if that happens to be four o'clock in the morning, then do it. You know, that's the time you're hungry. Yeah, um, I, I do like to introduce fasting um, within my programs, but I don't make it a big thing. I don't say, well, you've got to fast from this certain time to that so- certain time. And you've got to have a strict eight hours of fasting because what I tend to find is, People will just sort of gravitate to that naturally if your nutrition's right. If you have 
enough fats, enough proteins in your nutrition, you tend to find that people will come to you and say, actually, I only ate once yesterday. So they've, they've, done, they've done a big fasting window and just not realized it. And that's what I do myself. I'll get up in the morning and I'll think, I'll not plan anything. I'll not be like, well, tomorrow I'm having eggs, tomorrow I'm having steaks. None, none, none of my day is planned ahead. What I'll do is I'll wake up, I'll think, am I hungry? Mm, probably not. You know, if I have to think about it, no. Yeah. <laughs> so then I'll just go about my day. And then when I do start to get hungry, I'll start to then plan when I can eat. So if I'm out at work and I'm not able to grab food straight away, start to think, well, in an hour's time, you know, I'll be home then. So I can think, well, I'm going to make some scrambled eggs when I get home. So let's take, like I say, yesterday for an example. Yesterday I got up and I wasn't hungry, didn't have anything to eat. Um, got up about 6 a.m., um, just went straight to work. Uh, I, I had a drink of water, actually, and just went straight to work. Uh, and then about 2 o'clock in the afternoon it was, started to feel um, like I wanted something. So I just came home and had some scrambled eggs. Um, and then we had, what, what do we have for evening meal? Oh, we had steaks for evening meal. My uh, partner did us a couple of ribeyes. So, and that was it for yesterday. Uh, and that is pretty much a typical day. What will happen is I'll just eat when I'm hungry. Um, we tend to have a window sort of around about two o'clock to seven o'clock. That's when we'll have two meals, three meals if we're feeling quite hungry. Um, but I do often have breakfast as well. I'm not saying that every morning I get up and I don't have breakfast. It's just if I feel, if I feel hungry, it, what it tends to be is if I've done a lot of exercise the day before. So if I've been out with my bike, let's say with some friends of an evening of a Thursday evening, we often go out biking. I'll come home late and I'll think, well, I just need to go to bed. So I just go straight to bed. Um, and then in the morning, I wake up and think, well, I'm hungry um, because I didn't eat last night. So I must be hungry now. And then I'll have my scrambled eggs before I go out. And then and then it will it will more often than not work out at two meals a day because then I'll just have an evening meal and that'll do until the next day. Um, yeah. but, but the clock is something that you've got to wean people off as well. We're talking about the processed foods and the uh, and the fruit and the vegetables and that. But the clock is a big thing in some people's nutrition and some people's lifestyle because it'll be nine o'clock, right? That's breakfast time. 12 o'clock, right? That's dinner time. 11 o'clock, whatever, you know, four o'clock, you know, and they'll go by a certain time when they've got to eat. And you, you've got to think about that's not how it would have worked with our ancestors. It's not like right, 12 o'clock, that's when we go get something to eat. It's whenever you're hungry, you eat. If that, if that, like I say, if that happens to be 10 o'clock at night and your body's telling you you're hungry, then eat, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. And, and, it change. I think that change from the watching the clock, and I don't mean sitting and watching the clock, but the breakfast, lunch, and dinner is one of the hardest things to break because we're so indoctrinated into. I mean, I was never a breakfast eater, so going without breakfast is not an issue. But lunch and dinner is really. Um, it's been a hard one for me, and it's it's actually since I've been carnivore that I've been less worried about what time it is and is it lunchtime or is it supper time and you know maybe I'll eat earlier maybe I'll eat later but um it's it's quite a challenging one to change isn't it it is yeah and like you say society um everywhere you go I mean my youngest is just starting school and they'll say what's he had for his breakfast and I'll say well he wasn't hungry so he didn't have anything I'll say well he didn't have anything you know it's like the biggest shock in the world well he wasn't hungry you know, but people just eat when they're not hungry. They get into the habit. And there is, if you break it down again into to biochemistry, there is a hormone called ghrelin, which come, becomes active when you're hungry. 
but what's happened over the years is people have just put a cloth over the top of that hormone and it just doesn't work anymore. Or yeah. if it works, you've trained it to work at a certain time. Yeah. People say, people will say, but I am hungry at nine. I am hungry at 12 and I am hungry at five. But what it is, is it's not actual hunger. It's just habit. You yeah. just trained your body into that habit of thinking, well, these are the times we eat. So then, so then all your hormones and all your body signals that you're getting has been trained to think like that. But what you can do is swap it when we swap the nutrition and we swap your lifestyle habits, swap it to actually know what real hunger feels like, not just what habits feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So what about your family? So you've got a partner and you've got two kids. How are they with you? Are they with you on this or are you doing it by yourself? How no, does... I'm, v- I'm very lucky. They are. They're not as carnivore as me because my younger boys like a bit of fruit and uh and they're not adverse to a few vegetables, but we are all real food. There's no processed food. I mean, it's hard with young ones. Um, they they do go to birthday parties and they they have the odd bit of cake and biscuits and, and treats that people seem to force upon them. When, when you're in this kind of real food environment, it seems like everybody else is just stuffing things into your face and, and on purpose. I know they're not, you know, but it just seems that way sometimes. Um, but yeah, we are really, I am, I am really lucky that my wife, um, she wants the body composition after, especially after having children, she was like, right, I want to knuckle down. I want to get my, my body back. You know, so she, she's happy with the body composition and she just eats real food. She has a few more fruits than I do. Um, but yeah, like, like I say, none of us really have processed food. And I think as well with kids, they can have a bit more of a leeway, um, when it, I've got to be careful because I'm quite strict with myself, not strict, but I like to know that my kids are getting nutrition and I like to know I'm getting nutrition. And obviously my wife, she likes to know that we're getting the nutrition into our kids. So we feed them the good things at home. And then when they, they come back from maybe they've been at a friend's house, whatever, and they say, oh yeah, we've had cake. I mean, firstly, you can tell the difference in them because they're up and down all yeah. over the place, like little um, doing the wall of death in the room thing. <laughs> um but yeah and i say that and you think well you've got to be careful because if you're too strict with with your children then they're going to go against you so we'll just do what we can in our house and we'll just teach them what we do in our house because everybody knows who's got kids they'll just copy what you do anyway yeah so if we're teaching them one thing under our roof then what they do outside of it you've got to just kind of bite your lip i guess yeah and do so do you give your kids packed lunch because school dinners are terrible, aren't they? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I had to bite my lip in the uh, assembly hall for that one as well, yeah. Because uh, when we went for the introduction for the school for uh, our first lad, she said, oh, we, we encourage you all to, to have school lunches. You know, we encourage your children to have school lunches. This is our menu. And on the menu was things like fishless fingers and meatless Mondays and all of that. So I'm sat there shaking. <laughs> my wife's holding my hand. I'm like, <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll stick to pack up and uh, and then we know at the end of the day if they've enjoyed the pack up or not, or whether they've decided that they've had their friends pack up instead. But to be fair to my kids, I mean, it got a little bit late for my youngest boy tonight, but he said, "Can I talk to that lady?" when yeah, we, we said we were doing a podcast because he said, I want to tell her that I eat real food. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, <laughs> it's just, just every now and again, you just hear those little things. Um, and he'll say, he'll say to somebody else, oh, my daddy likes steaks, you know, not cakes. And I think, well, just little things like that. I already know he's picking them up. 
So you can't, I think, I think early on I was being too strict with my children and I'll say, no, they can only have real food. They can only have nutrition. I don't want them eating any cakes. I don't want them going to kids' parties and eating biscuits and things like that. But not only does it help them because they know how they feel after they've eaten it, um, it also helps us just to give them that little bit of leeway. Yeah, I think I think it sounds like a brilliant approach because you you could control what you can control. You can't control when they're not there. So you, in a way, have to leave it to them to make that decision. But they've got to know what you know that they can make the decision because what you don't want is for them to to hide what they're doing and then come back and say, yeah, I only had steaks, but actually they didn't, you know, they, you want that. You want them to be able to talk to you about it. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's the same as when I'm, I've got my professional head on and I'm doing my programs with other people. I do tend to just try and educate and I say, look, if you want to go away and you want to have your cakes and you don't want to tell me that's up to you, but you're not going to get anywhere. By doing that, I'm just going to educate you and I'm going to give you all the resources I can and then it's up to you what you do. And I think that's the same approach that I'm trying to have with my children. Like, Look, I can give you all the information, can educate you, show you what we do in this house. And if you go out of this house, especially when they get older and teenagers, you know, they're just going to rebel and, and do what they like. But then at least then he's got all the education um, to fall back on. So. so I'm going to ask you, and I don't know if you know the answer to this because maybe it's your wife that prepares their pet lunch so if, if we've got younger people listening with younger kids what sort of things do they take to school to eat um m- mostly uh he'll have you know those edam slices of cheese that you can get yeah um, when when he talks about he wants a sandwich okay that's that's what it is it's an edam slice of cheese with some corned beef in the middle and another edam slice of cheese underneath um and he'll often say can i have a corned beef sandwich for my pack up or it Actually, he tells us what he wants for his pack up more than more than we just prepare it. We'll be in the kitchen of an evening and we'll say, Tommy, what do you want for your pack up tomorrow? And he'll say, oh, I'll have a corned beef sandwich or I'll have a, sometimes a pepperoni sandwich. We'll get a little pepperoni slices um, and then he'll just have bits of fruit to go with it. Generally, it'll be blueberries or, or slices of apple. Um, yeah, that sort of thing. Fruit and uh, fruit, meats and cheese. Yeah, that's it. Excellent. Really. Love it. So one of the things I want to go back to, because you were talking about um, gluconeogenesis, um, you, I don't know how what you called it, the gluconeogenesis. You see, it's your metabolism, isn't it? It's your gluconeogenic metabolism. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just thinking, maybe for new listeners that maybe don't know what what you mean by that, could you explain it a bit so that they can understand what gluconeogenesis is and what you mean by it? Yeah. Well, when you have a lot of carbohydrates to start off with most people in the world have got a carb heavy nutrition so most of their meals are centered around carbohydrates and most of the things they eat in the day have carbohydrates in them so by doing that you are in glycolysis a lot a lot of the time that's your primary way you are making fuel burning fuel throughout your whole metabolism is it's your body's way glycolysis is your body's way of breaking down those carbohydrates to get rid of them, basically to go through the Krebs cycle, which is the system um, to produce energy, to produce ATP. Okay. Um, So that's the system most people use, but we want to get you away from that system into a gluconeogenic system where you make your own glucose. 
Because when you have carbohydrates, to go into the glycolysis system, it breaks it down into glucose, right? So every carbohydrate you have, every sugar, everything gets broken down into glucose. So you often hear people say, but processed carbs are different to fruits, vegetables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the end of the day, if it's yep. a carbohydrate, it's exactly the same throughout the whole of the body. Yep. Okay? It'll be broken down through the glycolytic process, through glycolysis, um, and it'll produce uh, things called pyruvate. Okay? That's what happens. And then those pyruvate chemicals then go through the Krebs cycle to produce a, a thing called ATP, which uh, it goes to the muscles and, and gives you energy. Which sounds good. That sounds like, oh, well, that's great. You know, if I'm going through the, the all that process, it's giving me energy. Um, but you do get byproducts off that as well because of all generally all the chemicals and things in food, um, which you don't want. So the, the better way to do it is to get a pure source of energy. One that you know is not coming with laden full of fiber or laden full of anti-nutrients or laden full of anything else that comes along with those carbohydrates you'll have it. So a pure, pure source of glucose will come from gluconeogenesis which is your body's own way of making that glucose. And the way it does that is by breaking down fats, things called triglycerides. Um, Most people have a million amount of triglycerides within their body, so you'll never run out, okay? Uh, Even your thinnest marathon runner can have something like 60 to 80,000 calories worth of fats within their body that they're able to break down for gluconeogenesis. Yeah. So you can see already, we can actually only store around about 4,000 to 6,000 units of glycogen, uh, calories of glycogen. Let's use calories for energy, calories of glycogen. Um, So 4,000 to 6,000 or 60,000 to 80,000 is worth of fat. So within your body, you've got all these triglycerides that you can break down and you can make energy from. So surely that's a better source of energy than just to keep trying to stay on top of carbohydrates all the time, because that's basically what you're doing. When you're trying to get that energy from the carbohydrates, you have to constantly eat them to try and stay on top of the fact that you want energy from them. Whereas when you're not eating them, you're getting the energy from your fats, you're getting the energy from some protein sometimes. um, So you're always able to have that energy. So you're saying that gluconeogenesis is the um, breaking down of fat to fuel the body rather than the um making um well what it does so you're burning fat rather than so in my head gluconeogenesis is making the carbohydrates that you need but when you're running on ketones and fat you don't need as much glucose yeah gluconeogenesis will make the ketone bodies and it'll also make the glucose that you need to go through that you need yeah but it's a lot less than you would if you were carb. The the, the thing is these systems don't work as a light switch. Okay. They don't like one minute you're not just primarily doing glycolysis. And then the next minute you've not switched it off and you've switched on another one. It's not how they work. They work together. Okay. They're always working, but most people have the carbohydrate system just working at 90% and the gluconeogenesis system working at like 10%, let's say. Yeah. So we need to swap that round. We need to swap that round. We want the gluconeogenesis to be working at 90%. And if you in, if you have any sort of little carbohydrates throughout the day, I mean, a ketogenic style nutrition allows you to have 20 grams of 20 to 50 grams of carbohydrates. So you're yeah. still going to be ingesting carbohydrates, 
So that system, the glycolytic system, is still going to be working there in the background. It's just that's not predominantly what you're using. Yeah. When I was talking about um, me introducing my carbohydrates for that little 1% when I was um, working at a high-intensity level, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for both of my systems to be working at 50-50 for a bit, you know, just to give my gluconeogenic system that sort of 40% rest just for a minute while I burn some carbohydrates and then we can go back to 90-10. Yeah, perfect. So Matthew, is there anything else that you wanted to tell us today? Something maybe that I didn't ask that you wanted to talk about? Uh, well, no, not really. I just sort of want to go just revisit that little last bit, last, last section there because I really want to get people to understand. I know sometimes I make it sound a little bit, potentially a little bit more difficult than what it is, but the gluconeogenic system is the system we should be using all of the time because that's the one that's going to give us enough glucose for every single action we need, not just to get through the day, but if we're doing our athletics, if we're doing whatever we're doing through the day, we'll have enough glucose because of that system. Also, it produces the ketone bodies as well, which we get can get the energy from, and it'll keep all of our organs absolutely as happy as they can be. So there is no need really to ingest any carbohydrate ever because we yeah. can produce enough of what we need all of the time. Yeah. And people say, oh, but you need 200 grams of carbohydrates a day. Well, you know what? When, you, when you're burning ketones, when you're, when you're keto adapted and you're fat adapted and you can tap into that fat easily, actually – the body can make do with 50 grams a day because you don't actually need as many when you're burning fat as you do when you're burning glucose. Yeah, the thing is, Jackie, the body can do with zero grams a day. It, it really doesn't need any external carbohydrates at oh, all. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I, I wasn't clear there. Not not ingesting it, but your body making it. So your body yeah. can make that 50. It only needs 50 grams and your body can easily make that. Yeah, the- I mean, it is going to be more of a, on an individual basis. Everybody's metabolism works at a different level, works at a different rate. So how much carbohydrates each in- individual person needs um, to get through a day um, by making it themselves is going to differ from person to person. Um, but yeah, ingesting wise, we don't actually need to eat any. Yeah. Some people, like I said, when if we go back to the, the start of the podcast, some people will find it more beneficial to them that they want some extra carbohydrates in the nutrition not need because we know you don't need it but they want it because it helps them to achieve their goal or it helps them um mentally physically whatever um but if if we're talking about needing then no the body can make enough glucose it wants for any process at all absolutely so then it's just down to how you feel and and what your goals are. And exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, some people, let's face it, at the end of the day, some people don't want optimal nutrition. They're not bothered about getting as many nutrients and as many vitamins as they can. All they want to do is, let's say, just lose a bit of weight. Or all they want to do is just to achieve their fastest 5K time. Or all they want to do is just to be able to walk around the block with the dog and not be out of breath. So they're not bothered about getting the most nutrition possible. They're not bothered about being in optimal lifestyle, optimal nutrition. They just want to feel better. Yeah. And for those people, you know, having some carbohydrates per day, fine. You know, you, you're achieving your goal. You've got off the sofa. You've walked the dog around the block twice a day, which you could, didn't do before. So I'm not going to say 
then stop all your carbohydrates, you know, live a, a, a miser- if it's making you feel miserable, uh, then that's good for you. At least it's good for you. I'm not going to say that. So always have in mind your goal, what you want to achieve. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, that, I'm that 1% of person who pushes the boundaries and wants to go right to the very edge and wants to get that extra little bit. So I'm always going to go as far as I can. But like I say, everybody's different. Everyone has different goals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm curious about your T-shirt. Because oh, I can just see uh, 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 just yeah. a triathlon T-shirt with the evolution <laughs> on it. Yeah, excellent. So I think, I think my so, kids bought me it. So yeah. <laughs> For everyone listening, we've gone from maybe a primate to yeah, it's the usual evolution line. You know that you see that goes from primate to um, sort of half standing up primate to a guy with a uh, spear. Yeah, spear, and then suddenly jumps into a swim, bike, and a run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you my T-shirt. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, and, brilliant. But then you have to look at the back. Meat and more meat. Yeah, yeah. that's the way to do it. <laughs> um, so, Matthew, do you want to tell us how people can find you if they're interested in working with you, um, your social media stuff, how they can do all that? Yeah, sure. Most of the things I've got are under human nutrition and lifestyle, um, all one word. So my website is uh, humannutritionandlifestyle.com. Um, and I've got a human nutrition and lifestyle Facebook group, human at human nutrition lifestyle on Instagram. Um, I think it's a little bit shorter on Twitter because Twitter doesn't allow you to have um, that longer username. So it's at human nutri life. Um, but all of the links and everything's on the website. So if you just go straight to the website, I've got the YouTube channel now as well, which I just keep doing. Every time I think of something and I've got a bit of time to make a video, um, I'll just whack it on the YouTube channel. Sometimes you can get a little bit more information across in a video than you can in just a simple post. So um, that's all I really use it for, just for that. So if you want to go across there and have a look at that, that's great. And I do do a bit of a a seasonal kind of podcast as well, which uh, hopefully we'll get together again and we can have a chat for that one. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Um, coming out, I think I think it's on a fourth series now. So I've been doing it about four years. Um, it's coming around to a fourth series, and uh, yeah, that's just talking to general people like yourself and and people within the keto carnivore community to share their stories. So. Excellent. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and so we're going to finish off with your three top tips. Okay, three top tips. Well, the first one is reduce the amount of processed food you have, because anybody can do it. You know. I always say it's don't change your nutrition overnight. Look, if you're if you're wanting to do this, okay, don't go away tomorrow and say I'm going to be carnivore because it won't work. You know, you're not going to change what you do straight away strictly from one day to the next. It takes that nutrition ladder that I was talking about in the podcast. It takes them small steps and, and them habits to to do it. So just get rid of something you know is a processed food tomorrow. It's probably going to be something like bread. Um, or something like if you wake up and have a breakfast muffin every morning, you know, just get rid of that. Um, that is your, my first top tip is get rid of at least one processed food every day for the next week. See how you go. Mm, yeah. And another tip is just add in a little bit more exercise. You know, even if you have a walk around the block now, then maybe after your evening meal, go for another walk around the block. Now, exercise is so underrated. Whatever exercise it is. You know, I mean, me, I take it to the extreme, go out swimming, biking, running miles, but you don't have to do that. All you have to do is go out into the street and if you want to, just jog to the nearest lamppost and jog home or have a long walk around the block. 
you know, any type of exercise is better than sit, sitting and watching Netflix of an evening. So that's that. And if you want three, then the next one I probably should have put as number one it is sleep. And I know how important it is with two young boys. You know, if you don't get that sleep, everything else falls to bits. You know, you could, you could have the best nutrition you want. You can have the best lifestyle you want. But if you haven't got a good, solid seven or eight hours sleep, then your day could just be ruined before it even starts. Yeah. So prioritize your sleep. Make sure that you're not sat up all night doing work or you're not on your laptop. You're not watching the telly. You're not doing things like that. Have a strict bedtime, nine o'clock, get yourself ready and go to bed. Um. Yeah, I think sleep is really important. And I think it's really underestimated how much we need to sleep. So many processes happen when we're asleep, including clearing out of our brains, getting rid of the the waste products, um, balance the hormones. You could balance your hormones by sleep and all these things that go on when you're sleeping. So, yeah, I agree. Sleep is really key. And and also, you know, if you're starting your if, if you start your day stressed because you're um because you didn't get enough sleep you know you've got too much cortisol and you're you're stressed before you even start then your insulin is high and it sort of defeats the object of your super nutrition really doesn't it it does as well and for some reason it also makes you crave the foods and crave the things that you really don't want and my wife's often telling me that i know i've had less sleep because i want more carbohydrates because your body's in a depleted mode so it wants that quick fix. You yep. often find that as well if you lose sleep. So try not to. <laughs> yeah. You eat more and you eat more of the wrong foods as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Matthew, thank you so much for being with us tonight. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. It has. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And I hope we can, uh, yeah, join up again sometime. Brilliant. Thank you. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice 
should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.